all you cool cats and kittens. It's the Second Day Film Podcast, the official podcast of the Second Day Film Club. I'm your host, Brandon Big Cat Baskin, ready for another remote coronavirus edition of the show. It is Friday, April 17th, 2020. It is snowing in April, so that's fun. I'm joined today by Mr. Evan Dean, coming at us from the Sunshine State. Uh, Evan, I'm going to go out on a limb and say it's not snowing there. Actually, no, but we had some really cold weather last night. We got down to the 60s last night, and that's like ice cold for Florida guys. Wow. All the grandma and grandmas and grandpas are busting out the fleeces, the blankets. <laughs> also joining us on the show today, making his return, is Mr. Mike Nichols, who has recovered from his spell with scurvy or whatever he was dealing with. Uh, glad you could rejoin the land of the living, my friend. Yes, me as well. Um yeah, I, thanks everyone. I appreciate the nice comments. Um, I don't know what I had. Um, I, I did unfortunately have a lot of the symptoms related to COVID-19. My doctor did a virtual chat with me and she was not able to test me because they just don't have enough tests right now in Grand Rapids. And they're only testing people that are already in the hospital or have like really bad symptoms and pre-existing conditions. So she was like, you know, I'm going to guess that you should act as if you have it because you have all the symptoms, but just stay at home, take a lot of vitamin C and D and drink lots of water and isolate yourself. So that's what I did. And uh, yeah, I'm feeling a lot better now. Um, it did not feel great. So I definitely encourage people to practice good social distancing right now and uh, just take care of yourselves. Um, but yeah, I'm happy to be healthy for the most part again and happy to be um, still here with us and really, really happy to be talking to you guys. I, I loved listening to the podcast you did last time. I'm very excited to uh, jump in with my five uh, feel-good movies. Yeah, Mike, we, we're glad to have you back and glad that you're feeling better. And we're excited to have a, a three-man pod. It's been a while since we had that. Uh, yeah. Coming up on today's show, in case you didn't catch the hints, uh, I have begrudgingly agreed <laughs> to uh, have an in-depth conversation uh, of the cultural phenomenon that is Tiger King. Uh, but first, as Mike just referenced, um, we're going to have him uh, share some of his favorite feel-good films. Of course, that's something Evan and I both did last uh, last time we recorded a couple weeks ago. Um, and also, we'll be discussing some recent films that are available on streaming and digital. Uh, so a lot to get to today. Please, if you have the ability to and you have a chance, like our Facebook page at the Second Day Film Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Second Day Film, Instagram at the Second Day Film Podcast, and check out our old episodes on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Uh, we would love it if you could support us in any way you can. Leave a review, leave a rating, tell us we suck. Honestly, bad feedback is better than no feedback at all. Um, and before we get to it, one note, this is, of course, our first time doing a remote pod with three people. So if we talk over each other or stumble, uh, please bear with us. Um, with because we've on. been drinking. Yes. Well, yes, that's true. We're uh, we're on various levels of drunken stupor here on this Friday <laughs> night. Uh, so, so we'll see if you guys can tell which one of us are drunkest by the end of this show. You yeah, know. I mean, nothing nothing better, you know, for Mike coming down off of an illness than to have several drinks and have a podcast. Let's do it. <laughs> My yeah. immune system is very strong and fighting right now. So, yeah, I dude, I haven't had a drink in a, over a month. So, yeah, it's been. Whoa. nice. I know. Well, I was. I was sick. I was giving my immune system a fighting chance. Um, even though I, I, it was pretty, thank you. Like, even though it was pretty mild, like what I had comparatively to some of the horror stories you're still reading, like it's still 
still wasn't fun. So yeah, no drinking. No, dude, dude. I'm glad that you were being smart with all of this. Uh, in Florida, they just reopened a bunch of beaches, which seems absurd. In Michigan, there was thousands of people who descended upon the Capitol for a protest in which there was no social distancing whatsoever. Um, so we've seen a lot of um, idiocracy, I'll put it that way. And so even you taking a few extra precautions during this time, I'm happy to hear it. Well, there's so, only one way to deal with idiocracy, and that's with more idiocracy, which is why all three of us are here. Um, so obviously, not, not as easy as sitting in the same room talking to each other, um, but we're going to do our best to uh, provide you guys with some content here. So let's move on. Let's get to it. Can I get a tiger roar from someone before we move on, please? Meow. <laughs> That wasn't a roar. <laughs> I could beat that tiger's ass. Anyways, moving on. Mm. Mike, as Kinky. we talked about, yeah. Uh, <laughs> me and Evan last week both shared some of our favorite feel-good films. Uh, you know, yes, for the time that. to sort of lift people up, you know, make people feel better. Movies you can pop in uh, to sort of cheery yourself up. Uh, Mike, of course, didn't have that opportunity to do so last week. So we wanted to give him an opportunity to do that. So, Mike. Lay it on us. What is one of your favorite feel-good movies? So I actually started out making a list that was very similar to some of your guys's. Like I had Evan, I had Remember the Titans in there, Champ, I had The Sandlot, and then I re-listened to the podcast. And I was like, oh yeah, I they had these movies. I don't want to just do the same movies. But yeah, um, I loved the list that you guys provided. Um, my number one uh, that we'll start with, and this is in no particular order, but just number one, um, That Thing You Do. The 1996 American musical comedy starring, written, and directed by the one, the only, and now COVID-19 survivor, Mr. Tom Hanks, ladies and gentlemen. Um, this is the story of the rise and, you know, the fall of a fictional 1960s, uh, you know, one-hit wonder band, um, lovingly named, actually, The Wonders or The Oneaters, for all those of you who have already seen it. Um, it stars Tom Everett Scott. Liv Tyler, Jonathan Skaish, uh, Steve Zahn, and Ethan Embry, and of course Tom Hanks, and Rita Wilson actually has a wonderful cameo in it as well. So this is a very feel-good movie. It's about this group of like you know uh, young guys who come together for a little talent show. Their song, That Thing You Do, takes off. Uh, the scene of them first hearing their song on the radio is literally one of the happiest scenes I've ever seen in a film. I dare you to watch that scene and just not crack a smile. And then they get big and it just explores their rise and eventually, you know, sadly their fall. But um, it's a wonderful, wonderful movie about what it's like to try to make it in the music business, especially back in that time uh, in the 60s. And um, like the sense of humor in this movie is just so Tom Hanks. It's so sweet. It's so like silly. And it's just really, really human. And uh, if you need a, a good music uh, comedy to cheer you up, this is the movie for you. And the songs are very catchy. I definitely know that. That Thing You Do is a fan favorite of mine at karaoke, and uh, I just love this movie. I can't say enough nice things about it. Guys, have you ever seen this movie before? I, I have not seen it. I don't know about Evan, but uh, That Thing You Do nominated for an Academy Award and Golden Globe Award for Best Original Song. I have not seen this movie. I know your buddy Ryan uh, loves to talk about it, and he's been waiting for yeah. for years for us to talk about this movie on the podcast. So Shout I out to our good friend. Yeah, Ryan Chahorsky, CM Life alum. What's up, brother? Just had a kid. Um, doing great. Uh, yeah, we, lo we love you, Ryan. That thing you do, we're, we, we're giving you a shout out just for you, buddy. Have you seen this, Evan? No, I haven't seen it, um, but I have a, a very uh, brief request. I need, uh, 
I need Mike to 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 sing me the 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 chorus of of the main song here. Oh, um, I don't I don't know if it really has a chorus because it's. Um, well, take it away wherever you need to pick it up. Doing that thing you do, breaking my heart into a million pieces, okay. like you always do. Wait, wait, wait. So we're, not, we're not even ten minutes into the podcast. Let's not chase everyone away <laughs> just yet. Uh, but that's okay. that Fair thing enough. you do, directed and starring Tom Hanks. How many movies has Tom Hanks directed? Is that one of his only ones? You know, I believe it. Has, it was his directorial debut. I know that, but I don't. I don't. I don't think he's directed any other ones now. Huh. I know he's what? produced. Oh, you know yeah. what? No, I think he actually directed an episode of Band of Brothers. I think he directed Crossroads. Yeah, I know he was a, a producer on that and The Pacific. But anyways, what's your number two film? All right, number two is uh, a, a more recent film. It's a uh, the 2016 American comedy drama. Don't think twice. Don't Think Twice was written and directed and starred uh, Mike Birbiglia. And this is a movie all about improv. So I know you guys know, and if anyone else knows me, I love improv comedy. Um, I started watching Who's Line when I was a kid, and I just I fell in love with it. And I've been doing improv for like, you know, more than a decade of my life at this point. I've coached it, been on teams, like, you know, I've taught it. Um, and uh, I love improv so much. This movie is kind of like probably the most famous like improv movie. Um, it's about a, an improv group uh, or troupe, as we call them, out in New York. And um, it's about, like, all the fun stuff that they do as an improv troupe, all, like, you know, the competition that kind of goes on with trying to get on a show like Saturday Night Live. Um, and just, like, you know, just the beauty of the the teamwork that comes out of it, the creativity and, you know, the behind-the-scenes relationships that really offer people a chance to go out on a stage with absolutely nothing, no script, um, and just take a suggestion and just create an incredible show. Um, this movie stars uh, Keegan-Michael Key, uh, Jillian Jacobs, uh, Kate McCucci, Tammy Sager, and, of course, the wonderful Chris uh, Gethard. Or Gethard or sorry if I'm pronouncing your name wrong, buddy. <laughs> but, yeah, <laughs> yeah this, is, this is like the ultimate improv movie. Uh, it's just a great feel-good movie for anyone who loves improv. And improv is something that we could all use right now just to get, get through these, like, surreal and kind of, you know um, – Un- unfriendly times we're living through have you guys seen this movie don't think twice um i haven't seen it but uh definitely interested in it a- actually um a little known fact about me uh, my mom and i uh, when i was growing up young teen we loved to watch whose line is it anyway and um wayne brady i just remember marveling at his ability to think on his feet and be so quick-witted and then there was the short bald guy i don't remember his name he was colin amazing mockery. as well colin mockery yeah, so I just remember watching that show and thinking it was so impressive how they could come up with full-blown songs just at the drop of a hat. Um, so I'll have to check out that movie, man. Good call. I, I haven't seen this movie either. I didn't know Keegan Michael Key did anything without Jordan Peele, though. I thought they were like attached to the hit. Not, not so. Jordan Peele has gone on to direct some incredible movies, as we've both well, talked we about. We know that. Um, yeah. But. Yeah. So no no mm-hmm. they, they're their own people yeah they're, 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 yeah they're, they're no they're Key and Peele they're they're one for no I'm kidding of course no, uh, yeah. sounds like a good I, I actually have this in my uh, on my watch list on IMDb but I didn't even realize that I had it there so I obviously heard about this at some point but sounds like something fun to check out but what's your what's your third movie yeah and if you do want to check it out I'm pretty sure it's on Netflix so oh, yeah cool. go check it out there all right oh, num- number three number three uh, is uh, a very uh, dark British comedy film called Death at a Funeral. Uh, this is the 2007 version. There was a, an American remake that came out um, 
And uh, this is the original, though, which I've heard is much, much better. And I remember seeing this movie and just fell in love with it immediately. If you like a show like Frasier, where it's all about like farce and saving face and uh, um, a very like more satirical sense of humor, this is the movie for you. Death at a Funeral. Um, it was dire- directed by Frank Oz. Um, it stars uh, a lot of uh, famous British stars like Matthew McFadden, Rupert Graves, um, Alan. Tu- oh, actually, Alan Tudyk's American. I'm pretty sure. Um, uh, but Peter Dinklage, uh, famously Tyrion Lannister from Game of Thrones, is in this as well. This Not that movie- Evan would know. <laughs> but this is a movie about um, a British family who's lost lost a father, and now the family is gathering for the funeral, and just everything you can imagine going wrong at a funeral happens, and it's hysterical. Uh, one one guy accidentally shows up extremely high, not realizing he's taken um, a, a very, very strong hallucinogenic drug. Uh, a former, I don't want to give anything too much away, but Peter Dinklage, a stranger to the family, shows up with a very intense and revealing secret. Um, and, you know, the selfish brother shows up who's, you know, trying to pull his own schemes and just everything hilariously goes wrong at this funeral. And of course, like funerals are one of those things where it's so dark and serious. You know, you're not meant to laugh. So when something funny happens, it's almost, you know, 10 times as funny because you're trying not to laugh at it. Uh, it's a very sweet, very funny movie. And, uh, you know, especially with everything we're going through right now where there's, you know, sadly a lot of death right now. Um, this is just a sweet, funny movie that explores funerals in a, in a really well, hilarious way. I think, too, you got. we should clear up. You're talking about the 2007 version. It looks like they remade this, like with Martin Lawrence and Chris Rock and that crew. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, it was yeah, an American version yeah. of a. Yeah, it was an American version of a. a the British version is the one that that Mike is talking about. The American one was made with actors you just mentioned. A lot of well-known American actors. Peter Dinklage is the only actor okay. to appear in both films. But Mike is recommending the 2007. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, that tripped me up. You might have said it already. I missed it. Yeah, that's Anyways. okay. But yeah, Dinklage is just unreplaceable. You know, he's so perfect in this movie. I understand why when they do a remake, they're like, well. He still just has to be in it. It's so they good. couldn't they couldn't yeah. even let it stew for three years before they the Americans had to ruin it. Thanks a lot, guys. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyways, we're we're zero for three, and me and Evan seeing any of Mike's movies. So, Mike, uh, what's wow. your fourth one? All right. So after Death at a Funeral, I've got a movie I definitely think you've seen, Champ, and that is um, my favorite journalism movie of all time, Almost Famous. Um, this is the 2000 uh, American comedy drama film written and directed by Cameron Crowe. Um, it stars Billy Crudup, uh, Francis McDormand, Kate Hudson, and Patrick Fugit, uh, as well as uh, I think Zoe Deschanel is also in it, and Jason uh-huh. Lee. And I believe um, Jimmy Fallon makes an appearance in it. And of course, the great Philip Seymour Hoffman has an unforgettable role in this movie. So R. this R. movie is, yeah, uh, this movie is basically Cameron Crowe's uh, sort of autobiography book about a teenage journalist uh, writing for Rolling Stone uh, in the early 1970s, and he's touring with a fictitious rock band. Um, I think it's called Stillwater. And it's about his like kind of coming-of-age story as a young journalist, trying to get his first big cover story about this, this band. And it really just explores like the behind-the-scenes of the music industry in the 70s. But also, um, you know, it's a good story about this young man coming of age who – I think it has a lot of personal like meaning for me just because that kid, like he reminds me of me a lot. Like I was just like a, a little perfect, never got in trouble, goody two shoes kid. And then I jumped into journalism and all of a sudden, like I just got my world rocked. 
um, by like the behind the scenes of the world that I was covering. And uh, so this kid is, um, you know, covering this rock band and they're like trying to corrupt him and stuff. And he's also just trying to get the inside scoop on them. And it leads to some really sweet, very honest character development. It's really well written. It's got a lot of heart and it's got a very iconic uh, scene where they do um, uh, the Tiny Dancer by Elton John. Um, I just love this movie. It's really funny. And again, it's full heart, very sweet. And it's it's really a good, uh, good um a good tale about journalism and like really telling the truth about who and what people are so uh this is a very feel-good comedy drama um champ have you at least seen this one it's a good journalism no i i haven't seen almost famous you're gonna hate me for it but uh four academy award nominations including uh best original screenplay also awarded the 2001 grammy award for best compilation soundtrack album and roger ebert in particular hailed the film as one of the best of the year as and as well as his ninth best film of the 2000s so, uh, mm. you know, uh, obviously a movie that both Evan and I need to see because you haven't seen this yeah. either, right, Evan? No, I haven't seen it. Uh, I, obviously, I've, I've heard of it. I've heard of the last two uh, films that you've mentioned, Mike. The first couple I hadn't heard of, but I see this has an almost three hour runtime. Does it feel long? I mean, that's that's a pretty long uh, picture. That's two hours and 12 minutes. What are you talking about? It's, it, I'm seeing three hours, I'm seeing two hours and forty five minutes. Well, if it, it is, it, it doesn't feel like that. Yeah, it says two hours and twelve on IMDb, so I don't know what's going on there. It huh. feels, it yeah. feels, it feels epic, but not like, oh man, this is so long. Like, it doesn't I, I'm like on, I'm looking at it on Google, and maybe Google's got some some misinformation. Well, regardless, we can see why we need Mike on this podcast because, as we said before, me and Evan are. Uh, very like-minded in the movies we watch, and 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 Mike is doing a good job uh, providing a different uh, take and perspective. That's for sure. So uh, definitely mean, honestly, can appreciate that. Honestly, I loved the movies you guys picked. Like, I I literally just rewatched Shawshank Redemption. It's on Netflix. I just rewatched it like a couple weeks ago. Um, yeah, Evan, I, I've seen all the movies you picked. Uh, Champ, the only movie of yours I haven't seen is Peanut Butter Falcon that you picked. But yeah, you guys also picked great movies that are so enjoyable. Again, so well, let's, how about this? Let's let's run our list back when you're done, Mike. You want to do your number one, and then we'll run our uh, top five back uh, in case people miss that pod. Well, yeah, just do it quick though. Um, well, yeah, but yeah, tell us your last one first. All right, my last one is it's either my favorite or my second favorite uh, comedy film of all time. Um, this is a 1996 American comedy film directed by my own namesake, Mike Nichols. Adopted by the amazing Elaine May, who was Mike Nichols' improv partner, and starring Robin Williams, Gene Hackman, Nathan, Nathan Lane, Diane West, Calista Flockhart, Hank Azaria, Christine Baranski. It is, of course, The Birdcage. This movie is a remake of the uh, 1978 Franco-Italian film La Cage Foyer, and uh, I just love this movie so much. Um it's about Robin Williams and Nathan Lane as a, a gay couple who run a drag show uh, club in South Beach called The Birdcage. And Robin Williams' son comes home from college. He's going to marry someone. And uh, it's, it's, Gene, it's Gene Hackman and Diane West as a very conservative Republican political couple. And uh, it's like a, it's a guess who's coming to dinner, meet the parents sort of thing. Um, and unfortunately, uh, you know, all chaos breaks loose. They, they're trying to pretend that they're a straight couple and it's just hysterical and also so, so, so sweet. 
Um, the movie does a lot to explore, um, you know, gay culture in the nineties, but also, you know, just the human story behind it. It, it really doesn't, um, it doesn't stereotype the way a lot of stuff where it just like kind of pulled, pulled punches as if like gay people were the butt of jokes. It does a really good job of making everyone human characters with their own interests, their own desires. And also like has really strong moments of just human struggle and, and honesty that just comes out in really, really um, necessary ways. Um, this is a great movie. It's, I mean, Mike Nichols, obviously one of the greatest like film directors of all time. Elaine May, who's like, <laughs> Jeez, one of you got a hell of an ego, bro. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know so many people that I like, I love that guy. And uh, Mike Nichols and Elaine May were legendary in the improv field, which I've already talked about, like, you know, how much I'm a fan of them. But they, like, when Mike Nichols died and he was trending on Twitter, I got so many text messages. Oh my God, I saw you trending on Twitter. Did you die? And I was like, <laughs> yeah, no, I am not an 80 something year old Golden Globe Oscar winning film director, but thank you for the misunderstanding. Uh, um, yeah, I, yeah, I like Charlie he, Wilson's War by him. Yeah, he's oh, he's great. Um, did this, he do The Graduate, Mike? He did. Yep, he did. And so this great movie, movie, I mean, Robin Williams, we can all use a little Robin right now. So yeah, The Birdcage, one of the best comedies of all time. I hope you guys enjoy it. Have you guys seen this one at least? We just went over <laughs> 10, buddy. We haven't seen oh, that one either. No. But nominated for best best production design at the uh, Academy Awards in 1997. And Mike, just because me and Evan haven't seen these movies doesn't mean that they're not good suggestions. It just means that we have some movies that we need to see because uh, I mean, yeah. these are all well known movies. But you know, I guess that just kind of uh, missed me and Evan's purview. But good suggestions. But just to, just to I'm recap, sure. uh, yeah, just to recap, my top five uh, you know movies to make you guys smile if you want it. Um, I've got That Thing You Do, Don't Think Twice, Almost Famous, Death at a Funeral, and The Birdcage, uh, which I believe The Birdcage is on Amazon Prime if anyone wants to watch it. All right. Thanks, man. Yeah, so mine, uh, obviously, you can hear uh, mine and Champs from um, last week or two weeks ago if you listen to that pod. But I had um, some more well-known movies. Uh, I went with Remember the Titans. I really miss sports right now. Forrest Gump, an all-time classic. The Shawshank Redemption, one of the best movies of all time. Up, one of my favorite Pixar films. And The Greatest Showman, which I think is a good, not great movie, but has an awesome soundtrack. And music, I think we all can agree, can make you feel good right now. And then I had uh, Young Frankenstein, Secondhand Lions, The Sandlot, School of Rock, and The Peanut Butter Falcon from 2019. So there you go. 15 feel-good films to check out if you're feeling down in the dumps. Okay, moving forward from, from some feel-good films from the past to one that just came out recently and had its uh, theater run interrupted by the outbreak of COVID-19. Uh, it's Onward, directed by Dan Scanlon. Uh, this movie is Pixar's latest film. Uh, I believe it is the 21st film uh, that they've released. Um, yeah, 22nd, sorry. Uh, this movie stars the voice talents of Tom Holland and Chris Pratt. So we have Spider-Man and Star-Lord in this, uh, as well as Julia Louis-Dreyfus, Octavia Spencer, Mel Rodriguez, Kyle Bornheimer, um, and uh, John Ratzenberger in a brief role. Um, Scanlon is the guy who was responsible for Monsters University, another uh, Pixar film that came out in 2013. Uh, this movie was put on streaming on Disney Plus early because of the outbreak of COVID-19, and it's actually the first Pixar film to lose money in the theaters. Uh, but of course, that's 
because it had to be cut and theaters were closed. Um, there's no way a Pixar movie would normally lose money. Um, I like this film quite a bit. Uh, Evan did not see this film, but me and Mike both watched it uh, just a couple hours ago. Um, so, Mike, what, what were your first impressions of this film? Um, first impressions, this is a very, you know, traditional Pixar film. It's uh, got a very fun, creative concept. Um, it's got a lot of heart, a lot of emo emotional moments that really tug at your heartstrings. Um, and at the end of the day, this is a film that's more than just about, you know, whatever the, the setting or, you know, the, the, the culture behind the film is about. Like, in this case, it's like magic and kind of like, you know, more like fantasy. I, I don't want to say nerdy, but, you know, geeky kind of stuff. Um, but this is really about uh, this is about like brotherhood and fatherhood, I would say. And uh, yeah. kind of like the way Toy Story is, yeah, a story that's really about friendship with toys, or you know, um, uh, like The Incredibles is really a movie that's about families set in superheroes. This is a movie that's really about brothers. That's just kind of set in a fantasy like adventure. And I thought it was a very very sweet. Uh, movie definitely worthy of like you know the Pixar label maybe not its best but certainly an enjoyable fun film that I think kids and families will definitely love yeah it has a clever idea which basically is like that the world of magic once existed and then it became sort of obsolete because technology has replaced magic so I like the idea that you no longer need to like work at something to master it it's just readily available of course this has fantastic animation we expect that from Pixar um, the world that was created that has sort of this mix of suburbia in the fantasy realm. I mean, you know you're going to get animation gold when it comes to Pixar. Um, but but like most Pixar films, this film also has a good message. It basically centers on these uh, elven brothers. And I didn't read the plot summary. It's just basically two elven brothers embark on a quest to bring their father back for one day. So as Mike said, it has a lot to do with family and brotherhood and um, sort of passing your legacy on. Um, of course, this movie does have the dead parent requirement of Disney and Pixar films. But what I like about this movie is that it's an essential part of the plot in this one. It actually serves a purpose to the narrative. Um, I like that there's fun little details in this movie that really help build the world. Like uh, these brothers have a, a dragon dog, <laughs> which was Carolyn, my wife's favorite, you know, the the Manicore Tavern is basically turned into a chunky Chuck E. Cheese. You've got a biker gang full of vicious fairies. You've got a, a cheese puff jet ski in this movie. Um, so so it, it really is an imaginative, unique film. Yeah, the Pixie Biker Gang was great. That was yeah. that was pretty funny. Right. So um, Evan, you haven't you haven't seen this movie, but um, I assume you want to. I know you're a Pixar fan. Yeah, I mean, I think um, from what I've heard. Um, you know, first off, obviously this movie didn't really get a fair run. I mean, you know, obviously when it comes to the comparison with public health, you know, how movies do at the box office is, is minimal, but as you already had said, champ, it got killed just because it didn't have a long enough release time. But, you know, for, if for nothing else, uh, if for nothing else, uh, at this stage in the game, Pixar movies are worth the watch in terms of the visuals that you're going to get and that you're going to see. I mean, they're, they're beautifully um, made and awesomely awesome looking movies um, and um, whether or not they reach that next emotional level and that connection with the audience, I think varies. And from what I've heard, 
Um, this one hasn't been quite the hit or quite the, the connection with its audience maybe as some of the others. I don't know if that's something you guys felt as well or not. Well, I would say that, you know, like I said, Pixar's made 22 movies. I wouldn't put this in the top 10. Of course, that's a really high bar. Yeah. I'm not even sure I'd put it in my top 15. And that's not to say it's a bad movie. That's more just to say that Pixar has made a lot of good movies. And, um, you know, one th one thing I did like is I think it says a lot about Pixar's ability um, to develop characters and make characters that you care about. The third main character in this movie is literally a pair of pants. <laughs> and it, it, it kind of reminded me of Wally in terms of character development and making you care about a character without having any dialogue. It, it really says a lot to the writing and just the imagination that goes into a character that you can make people care about something that doesn't say anything at all. So one thing that I'll kind of add to that is I think what's hard for Pixar now is that the first couple of things that they did were so groundbreaking. And it, it, like you said, it did set the bar so high that everything else that comes after it, like it just, it, it, like there's nothing it can do. It just, it can't be groundbreaking anymore. Like it can't mm -hmm. just keep breaking new ground so quickly with everything that the new films that come out, even though they're great, even though they're still A's like, and they would be comparatively A's compared to any other movies, they're just not going to be like, Whoa, that's so different and unique and amazing because the earliest Pixar stuff was just so, new and different and creative like well let, let me ask you this though mike because uh one of the the most recent releases um from pixar that i think really hit home and, and i think champ and i both gave really strong reviews to was coco and what was great about coco not only did it have an amazing soundtrack and of course it had the the family elements but it also appealed to um a portion of the population specifically the spanish population that we hadn't seen um, a Pixar film appeal to yet to this point. So I think that they, that they still have avenues in which they can be unique and groundbreaking and maybe reach people in a different way. But it sounds like this one didn't do that. Well, let me jump in. I know you asked Mike the question, but you brought up Coco and I have Coco down in my notes as well. Um, because they both of these films, Coco and which just came out a couple years ago, yeah. and this film Onward, both have a theme of youth dealing with death. And it's something Pixar just explored so differently and, and recently with Coco. And I think Coco did it in a much more colorful, heartfelt, unique, entertaining way. Whereas this one feels a little bit more surface level. And I think Coco, where it really was strong, is that it did so in a meaningful yeah. and educational way where it gave us a glimpse into a different culture. So I think it was a little bit maybe like Pixar jumped back into the same themes a little bit too early okay. maybe. And that's maybe why this film isn't resonating as much, but Mike, I don't know how you, how you feel about that. Well, I will say this for onward is that the most emotional moment for me at least was when uh, the character played by Tom Holland is going through all the list of things that he really wants to do with his dad that he doesn't feel he's going to be able to do now. And as he's like crossing these things off the list, suddenly he realizes, Oh wait, I did get to do all these things, but not with my dad, with my brother. And mm -hmm. I think that, that was a really special moment. And Pixar is so great at this, where they showcase all the kind of hidden gems in life. And they show that, look, you know, just because a parent wasn't there for you, it doesn't mean that somebody else wasn't. It doesn't necessarily mean that you got you had to miss out on your childhood because 
you know, the traditional role wasn't able to be fulfilled in your life, you can still appreciate the other people who did make you laugh, who did teach you things, who did take you on adventures and who did give you the courage to live a good life. Oh, I mean, yeah. Pixar, just to jump in, Pixar does that amazingly. Revealing something, having that revelation. I'd said last, uh, a couple weeks ago, Up was one of my favorites. And obviously we know in that one, our main character, you know, felt like he was trying to give his wife an adventure she never got. And then it's revealed, well, no, their entire relationship was the adventure that she wanted. And so, you know, obviously Pixar, um, to Champ's point, earlier um and they've set the bar so high now and they really have to hit it out of the park to even be um you know ranked among the top 10 so as you guys and i i understand that and i see that even though i haven't seen this film um i i know it's worth watching and even if it isn't a top 10 pixar film i know it's going to be good it's just it's like with uh it's like with the mcu we've talked about this before you know they set the bar so high with the top films that even if it's just pretty good, um, it just doesn't stack up. And that's that's because of the the great films that they've made, right? Yeah, yeah and, I, and I don't want to make it seem like I didn't like this movie because I did. And Mike, that scene you're talking about really is heartfelt and it does hit home. And then also that's buoyed by the fact that, of course, uh, Ian never actually gets to meet his dad. Sorry to spoil this for you, Evan, but he never really gets to meet his dad. He let he sacrifices himself so his brother can go have one more conversation with him. And it really comes full circle with that. His dad is passing his lessons on to his brother so he can pass them on to him. So I don't want to make it seem like this movie isn't dealing with death and family in a heartfelt way. It's just doing it in a different way. And I just think Coco maybe had a little bit more imagination to it, but I still like this film quite a bit. Um, And I gave it a seven out of 10. So Mike, I know you don't like my, uh, my number grades, but what kind of letter grade would you give it? B plus. All right. So it's solid. So, I mean, I don't think we can ever say that a Pixar film isn't worth watching, uh, but Onward is on Disney Plus. If you have it now, it's also out on digital. Um, so you can you can run it if you don't have Disney Plus, um, but definitely worth checking out. OK, so moving on uh, from something completely different from Onward uh, is a movie starring Adam Sandler that just came out uh, around Christmas of last year. It's called Uncut Gems. It's directed by brothers Josh and Benny Safdi, I hope I said that correctly. I probably didn't. The plot summary on IMDb. With his debts mounting and angry collectors closing in, a fast-talking New York City jeweler risks everything in hope of staying afloat and alive. This movie stars, as I said, Adam Sandler uh, in the main role. Um, also in this film is Kevin Garnett uh, is is the main person yeah. that we're, we're dealing with. He's actually in a really main role, which is really interesting. But we also have Adina Menzel, Lakeith Stanfield, Julia Fox, and Eric Bogusian. Um, this movie got a lot of hype after it premiered. And, and it's interesting that these Jewish brothers, who are also known for this film, Good Time, uh, starring Robert Pattinson, which I have not seen, but I also heard was good. We're not used to seeing Adam Sandler in a role like this. Um, <laughs> this is an incredibly chaotic film. It's the only way I can describe it. Uh, Howard... Uh, Adam Sandler's character is this guy who's a jeweler, high stakes, sports gambler, sports better. And the way that the Softy brothers really create a sense of chaos and, and, and craziness throughout this film is really skillful. Howard is constantly throughout the film, right from the opening drop, dealing with tons of things at once. 
He's getting calls on his phone. He's got people showing up his, at his shop asking him where the money is that he owes him. Uh, his jeweler shop has like this buzzer, like most jewelry shops do, where you have to go through double doors and they have to buzz you in. So as you're watching this chaos happen on screen, there's constantly buzzers going off in the background. His phone is constantly ringing. There's people talking over each other. And when you do things like this and you do it over and over again, it really helps to put the audience in Howard's shoes and put you in this stressful, uncomfortable situation. And this really is an uncomfortable movie to watch. Uh, it's a good performance from Adam Sandler. I wouldn't say it's Oscar worthy, as some people were clamoring for. I don't think it was quite on that level, but it is a good performance. The problem is... Adam Sandler's character, Howard, he's not really a redeemable character. Uh, he's kind of a shitty person. He's a self-destructive person. Everyone who comes in touch with him, bad things happen to him. He makes bad things happen to people. And this girl that likes him, played by Julia Fox, is also a shitty, crappy person. So a lot of the people in this movie, even Kevin Garnett, who's playing like a fictional version of himself, everyone in this movie kind of sucks. So it, it's hard to kind of root for anyone but at the same time, you're very captivated by what's going on on screen because of the way it's shot, because of the way it just sort of brings you into this world and doesn't let you get out of it two hours in. So neither of you guys have seen Uncut Gems, but um, Evan, I know this is something you're interested yeah. in. And I know you your feelings about Adam Sandler and some of his other stuff. But is this something you're interested in seeing? Oh, yeah, man. I mean, I've heard great things. I've heard um, that it was one of his best performances. I've heard that um, many in Hollywood were upset that he didn't get, um, I don't know if it was nominations or actually wins for his his role in this. Um, you know, I think back to some of the fast-paced films that I, I you know, that I've seen just off the top of my head, like Edge of Tomorrow, um, Run, Lola, Run. It's a little more obscure some of those movies. I love that movie. Yeah, yeah. So the kind of that, you, you know then, Mike, the fast-paced movie that keeps going, going, going and doesn't really let you go. Um, I've, I've heard a lot um, when it comes to Uncut Gems, that kind of the same thing. Um, obviously, I uh, think that Adam Sandler, um, among the really big, big um, Hollywood um, actors, I think he's um, been a part of some of the worst movies ever. I mean, we talk about Little Nicky. We talk about... Um, Jack and Jill, um, you know, and as much as Waterboy and Billy Madison and Happy Gilmore and Big Daddy are beloved for their quotables, they're horrible films. Um, so I, I really um, would love to see this. I did see Punch Drunk Love and it was a different Adam Sandler flick and I thought he did a pretty good job um, in that serious role. So look, I'm all for, um, you know, being able to, to watch him in, in a role that um, requires a little bit more acting, shall we say. Mike? What is going on with him? Like, <laughs> how does he make these incredible co comedy movies and then just these movies that are so horribly bad where, like, how is someone as talented as you even, like, in this movie? And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he pulls out these incredible dramas that you're like, Whoa, the range on this guy. Well, what what would you consider to be like an incredible comedy out of him? Um, you know, I like, like Big Daddy Billy, personally. Yeah, I think Billy Big Madison. Daddy has some heart to it. Okay. Billy okay. Madison or I mean, listen, let's let, listen, let's not Yeah, let's not go down sure, the Adam sure, Sandler fair, fair. Adam Sandler path. We've had this debate before on the podcast. 
let me let me just say that this movie it's clear that adam sandler when given the proper uh script sure. and, the, and good stuff to work with he is capable of being a good actor i mean in this movie it's it's if anyone who's ever like gambled on sports or even played fantasy sports, when you're watching this movie, you can relate to it. And just the, I mean, Evan, you and me, we play in a lot of high stakes. I mean, not high stakes, but you know, where we invest money and we, the absurd way that you watch sports when you have something <laughs> riding on it, whether yeah. it's fantasy players or gambling and the way that you root for things in like just a messed up way is captured perfectly in this movie. I mean, it's clear the way the guy is just constantly going down the wrong path, inspiring out of control. We get lots of close-up shots of him, tight shots on his face. And I think that's representative and purposeful of him being in a tight spot yeah. with walls closing in. And again, that helps create that atmosphere. And I think that this movie is kind of a cautionary tale about the dangers of doing things uh, and living like this and behaving in this manner. It's a, it's a literal ledge that you're walking on. And without spoiling it, as you're watching this movie, um, you see him actually, you know, succeed in getting out of certain spots. But there's no indication that he's ever learned anything or his behavior is going to change at all. And perhaps ultimately that's going to lead to his demise because he doesn't learn anything. So I think this movie has a lot to say about the consequences of a person's actions. Uh, it has a lot to say about, um, you know, what type of person you want to be. And it's really interesting and it's well acted. It's well played. And the style and tone of the movie is something that's going to captivate you, whether or not you're into this kind of stuff or not. I gave this film an 8.5 out of 10. I think it's, it's a really strong achievement for Adam Sandler. Um, and I think everyone should watch it. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I uh, I've heard great things um, hearing from you more great things. I really do want to see this. And um, just to be clear, you know, my comments on Adam Sandler it certainly is not to say he's not capable. It's just the, the films he's been a part of have been so bad that um, it makes me <laughs> in a weird way even more excited to see this. You got anything else, Mike? Are you good? Yeah, I haven't seen it. I look forward to seeing it. I don't care if I see it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And of course, last but not least on today's April 17th version of the Second Day Film Podcast is the global phenomenon that is Tiger King. It's directed by Eric Good and Rebecca Shakelin. I think I said that wrong, but whatever. The plot summary on IMDb. <laughs> a rivalry between big cat eccentrics takes a dark turn when Joe Exotic, a controversial animal park boss, is caught in a murder-for-hire plot. Uh, this is a seven-part documentary series that premiered on netflix and uh, actually an eighth uh special was tacked on to the end because of the popularity the impact of this show cannot be understated um it's become a phenomenon these people have become celebrities these random people nobody can resist watching this even myself call me a snob if you want but i have a natural tendency to avoid watching things like this that everyone is watching i don't like to buy the hype i don't like to get sucked in as I said off the top, I begrudgingly agreed to binge this yesterday and review it on the podcast because I love you, the listener, <laughs> and this is something that we have to talk about. Um, I expect a, a fun conversation here, but Evan, uh, you just recently watched Tiger King. What what was your first impressions of this wild, wild documentary? Series? Yeah, I mean, wild doesn't even really even capture it. I think um, I think that the initial feeling of complete and utter and total disbelief 
is by far the best thing about this entire show. Uh, I think that I audibly, uh, not just in my head, I audibly said, oh my God, or WTF about 50 times during just the first two episodes, right? So in the first two episodes alone, we get all this. We get we get big cats, obviously. That's the theme. Everything from owning them to breeding them. We get sex cults. We get magic shows. We get the most ridiculous country music videos I've ever seen in my life. We get gay... Wait, are you still talking about Tiger King? Yeah, yes. <laughs> we get gay polygamy. We get wildly inappropriate uses of firearms and explosives. We get murder for hire plot. I mean, you guys, I'm talking just the first two episodes. Um, the first two episodes were amazing, um, mind blown. And you just kind of are awestruck by the fact that these people are real and they exist. Um, I think it kind of ran out of steam a little bit towards the middle, but I'll get into that later. Um, I'm sure you guys also shared um, the feelings as I did. Have you ever seen people with bigger egos than the people in this show? Let's talk to someone who would know all about that. Mike Nichols. <laughs> oh, you're so funny. A person with the last name Champion. Uh, talking, oh, oh, you gave yourself the name Champion. Uh, oh, okay. No, I, Evan, I couldn't. I Better than giving myself the last name Exotic. <laughs> fair point. Totally fair. fair. Point. I can't even pronounce his actual last name. Oh, man. Yeah, Go this ahead, show, Mike. I... Uh, Evan, everything you said and more, dude. I I think like just the the feelings of watching this show. Of I I don't ever like to use the term or the the phrase. I cannot even. But watching the show, I I did find myself in my head telling myself I I cannot even like begin to describe what I'm watching or how bizarre this is. I mean, you've got a guy who's proudly describing himself, you know, himself as like. I'm a gun-toting, gay, polygamous, tiger-raising, redneck, and I'm running for president. You're like, what? It's like, like that person actually exists? It was mind-blowing. Yeah, it is a mind-blowingly entertaining watch for how dysfunctional it is. But I will admit, like, as entertaining as the show was, and I did binge it all in one day because of how just glued to the dysfunctional train wreck I was, um, I will admit, and other people, you know, the memes about the show have been amazing, but when it was done, I felt really sad and I felt really depressed in a really like hopeless kind of way. Uh -huh. And I did reach out to other friends about it and other people kind of said the same thing. They were like, yeah, that show was like crazy and really funny. But then like when it was done, I felt really sad and kind of depressed. And I was like, I did too. Like, why do you think that was? And here's what they all said back to me. And it was the same thing I was feeling too. And they said, because there was no redemption. Like there was no redeeming arc where, you know, you realized anyone got out of it. Okay. No, like everyone was just a flawed, dysfunctional, self-centered, stupid person. I mean, maybe yeah. not, maybe not some of the workers, but they certainly were obviously very flawed people and no one came out of it. Yeah. But thankfully I've now got this new good thing in my life or now this thing's worked out. No, like everyone's story was just bad by mm -hmm. the end. People, had lost loved ones people had lost money relationships had been destroyed lives had been wasted animals had been hurt people had been hurt and it was just what what good came out of this nothing yeah like, well, least... we're gonna we're, we're gonna have we're gonna have some share some quotes and i have a quote that fits that perfectly but 
I mean, you basically have a, a wild, ridiculous cast of characters that are mostly trash humans. Yeah, misfits. And, and, and let's be... Yeah, let's be real, though. I mean, trash humans make for good TV. I mean, these people make the making a murderer folks look like high-class people. I mean, literally, like, the most normal people in this are wearing a colorful polka dot tie and have strange masks hanging in their rooms. Like, like there's nobody normal in this. And, that, and that's really, I think, why people are just flocking to it. I mean, I, I have mixed feelings about making all of these mostly trash humans into celebrities, you know, and sort of select celebrating them in a messed up sort of way. It's sort of how I feel like um, when you get like these murderer documentaries or like, I just always have mixed feelings when I'm watching things that are making like people who don't really deserve the limelight and making them into something more than they am. So I, I was very conflicted while I was watching this whole thing. Well, and I think too, you know, I think too, there's, there's some different levels in terms of the characters. You've got your main characters, um, you know, Joe Exotic, Doc Antle, um, and of course, Carol Baskin. And as redemptive, <laughs> or, you know, not redemptive, but as, um, you know, as much as uh, Carol appears to be the good one in all of this, um, you see from her early years, say 20 years ago when she started in, you know, she was breeding cats and dressing them up in pink outfits and shit like that. And you realize that none of these people um, really um, have anything good for these animals. They're all profiting off of them. But then the champ, uh, you know, the, 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 when you broaden it out and you look at like the people who work for these people, um, you know, you, 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 I almost feel bad for those people because they're, you know, a lot of them are ex-cons, they're drug addicts, they're people who are pulled into this world, um, whether it be to feed a drug habit or whether it be, um, you know, just to have something to belong to. Um, and so uh, it, it really is a good, a good case study on um, egos and dysfunction and how acting a certain way, um, to Mike's point, leaves nobody with any good outcome. Um, you know, and so I, I will say one thing to Mike's point about um, being redemptive. There was no redemptive story, but I will say one of the saddest, uh, for me, most emotional parts of the show that I, I thought was strong was the end when Joe kind of finally, finally gives up the act and admits that he didn't treat these animals well. And he, he's talking about his two chimpanzees. And we see them right. Oh, yeah. We see them right after they leave his park. After ten years being in cages, right next to each other, tiny cages, they leave his park and they get to be together in a big area. And he kind of, kind of reflects on it. And I think there's a little bit. It's not a redemption, but there's a little bit of self-reflection. And I think a little bit, at least for Joe, um, of a realization that you know. I was, I was, you know, spewing a lot of BS for many, many years. And, you know, maybe, maybe I kind of had convinced myself that what I was doing was okay. And it actually wasn't. So I thought there was a little bit there. I, I agree on that. I agree that that was powerful to see that, but all the conservation stuff and like, let's, we have to fight for the tigers and that's bullcrap. It didn't really feel, yeah, but it yeah. didn't feel earned to me at all. Like the, the, no, the, no, no. I don't think this documentary was really about that at all. I mean, it, it kind of felt like it was just sort of thrown in at the end and it didn't really feel like it was really what this documentary was trying to say. It's almost like the filmmakers were like, Oh shit, we should probably bring it back to the tigers at the end. 
So, I mean, I agree that that was powerful to see Joe say that, but I don't know. I don't know if this documentary really cared about raising awareness for the Tigers, even though indirectly that might be one of the positive things that come out of this is that more people are going to be aware of all the big cats in captivity and maybe something will be more done about it because of this, even though I don't think the documentary was really all that interested in saying that. Well, it is wild to think that, you know, there are more captive tigers in the U S than there are even in the wild. Like that was a bizarre fact that we didn't learn because of this documentary. I I also thought though, that, that there were a lot of image, there was some imagery throughout. Um, You're not, here's the thing. You've got so many egocentric people. None of them are going to admit or acknowledge until Joe at the end that they're, what they're doing is wrong. So that what do the filmmakers have to work with? You know, it's a documentary. They're not getting people to admit that. But I think there was some pretty powerful imagery throughout, um, especially in the middle part of the the, the documentary series. Um, towards the end, when you see the conditions at the at the zoo really deteriorate, you see pictures of um, you know dozens of tigers in one cage pacing back and forth. You see them rolling in mud. I thought that it, there was that there. Um, and I and none, I don't think anybody, anybody at all, even with Carol Baskin, was convinced that what they were doing for the animals was good. But but you're left with the challenge as filmmakers of not having people really discuss that. You know, they're all defending themselves throughout the entire thing. That bitch Carol Baskin down in Florida. I got a lot to say about her. <laughs> OK, guys, we're just I'm just going to ask it. Do you guys think Carol Baskin killed her husband? I don't know. I honestly don't know because some of the stuff, like it was funny, Carolyn, she, she's my wife watched it twice. She watched it the first time. <laughs> and after she watched it the first time, she said she was convinced that she did. But then the second time she watched it, she said it occurred to her more that maybe her husband did just disappear to Costa Rica yeah. and just kind of set it up the way it was. So I think it's tough to say. I really do. Although the one line where Carol Baskin basically describes the way to kill someone, to have someone eaten by tigers. <laughs> oh, you're going to cover yeah. them in sardine sauce. That's how you kill them. Yeah, that yeah, does make yeah, her yeah. look a little skeptical. I don't know which way I fall on it. Um, I really just think all these people are trash. I mean, I, I really, I really, I hate to keep going back to it, but I really feel <laughs> very conflicted about making all these people celebrities. Like Joel McHale, if you watch the the, the special after it, he literally is interviewing these people and they're all just like, well, I'm just a normal guy. And I'm just like thinking the whole time, like now all these people are famous. There's all these memes. Everyone loves them. They're, they're yeah, but, like, yeah, but just that's, glorifying that's them. Yeah. But that's what, that's what America has been doing since the early two thousands, man. Think about all of the trash reality shows. I mean, let's go back to the bait, like the beginning of MTV and the real world. And I mean, like that's, you know, Jersey shore. I mean, and there's some there's some sick twisted um, part of America and society that like feels comfort in knowing that we're not as messed up as those people, and that makes me feel good. Yeah, I mean that's true. That's true. So, but but I do. Do anything else, Mike? Well, I did want to make one. I mean, go, go ahead, Mike. Oh no no Evan Evan make your make your last point before I get into some new questions about this because I have a lot of I have still a lot more to say and I think a lot more we can cover with this but I want to hear what you have to say I love I love being on the podcast with you at the same time Evan it's been great yeah I do I love yeah I just I did want to say um just from a filmmaking perspective what a dream for a director 
Um, oh, totally. you know, a total totally. dream. You know, not only do you have just these the absurd um, characters, you know. Um, you have a ton of footage to work with. These people are so obsessed with themselves that they have filmed their political campaigns. They've filmed these absurd music videos. They've made reality shows about themselves. So the director of this is fed all this footage. Um, and Carol Baskin filmed herself, you know, a doc and they, they're all so egocentrical that they've constantly been recording their lives, you know, them draped with baby kittens all over them. And I think as a filmmaker, it's like, it's a dream. I mean, you've got so much to work with and, uh, you know, I think it makes it a little easier in terms of actually producing something like this. Well, that's what I'm saying. I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily think this is a particularly well done documentary. I don't think it was really that much of of a cinematic achievement. I mean, if you look at it, of course, most of us binged it, but it kind of jumps all over the place. I think it lacks focus. I think nothing very unique was done. I think it slides by on the sheer craziness of the story and the real life characters depicted in it. I mean, yeah. let me ask you this. Would this documentary be good on if it, on its own, if not for these crazy, ridiculous humans? No, no, I don't think it would. I, and I agree with you. I was just, you know, I think there's a few moments though, where you're seeing the animals in the state that they're in, where there is that feeling of sadness for them. And I think there was a little bit of art in that. Beyond that, I yeah. just think I just think there's a lot of gazelle following culture going on with this, with people jumping on the bandwagon because it's so crazy <laughs> and it's so ridiculous. I just hate that people like this get to become famous, and I know it's an, I know it's it it is what we do. I just don't think it's that revolutionary. I don't think it's that ridiculous. If you want to watch something crazy that's actually good TV, watch The Jinx on HBO. Well, no, I, I, like I don't think. This is a total flash in the pan. You're 100% right, dude. This is going to be done and over with and irrelevant in two weeks. Mark my words. That's what we do with reality TV. I agree with you there. Um, so, yeah, this is just something that's hot right now. It won't be um, in, a, in a couple of weeks. It, it well, will always be associated with COVID-19. True. And it yeah. will always yes. be associated yeah. with... Uh, and I know, Mike, that's something you want to talk about. So, so go ahead. Yeah, I, I would just, I would just add to that. Like, don't forget that this was a docu series that was shot over about five years of time. And yeah. uh, you know, you, uh, Champ, like, I know you and I were both journalists. Try, try covering something for five years and then squeezing it into seven episodes. You know, like it's. I give them a little bit of credit for what they were able to put into like how much story they were able to like, you know, fit into that kind of a small time frame when they're dealing with five years worth of material. And also, yeah, kind of, I, I totally agree with you guys. Like this will be always associated with COVID-19 and the, the pandemic that, you know, this boomed through, I mean, what was it? 34.3 million people in the first 10 days of its release. Wow. That's insane. Um, that's, you know, and of course, then wasn't it like the first animal that was documented to have also gotten coronavirus was a tiger? Like, yeah. it's yeah. just the, the memes and then Joe Exotic are, himself got it, right? <laughs> I don't know I about that. I think he but, did, or he got he got moved from jails, and that might have been why. But yeah, this will definitely be impressed upon the American psyche because of the pandemic with which it arose into fame through, and. Um, I would also add to it that I think in a weird way, and I I think this kind of builds on what you guys were saying too, you know, the world is so emotionally fucked up right now. And then a show that's just as emotionally fucked up comes along 
and it's a cathartic entertainment match made in heaven. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we talk about, oh, well, they're all crazy with their, you know, they're all so desperately seeking fame. Hello, what has America turned into? We've elected uh, reality TV stars our president. You know, everyone posts on the internet about them and they're like, you know, cats at home. Like, you know, I think what weirdly happened with this was that it touched into a lot of parts of the American psyche that is laying dormant, but still there. And this guy's, you know, obsession with relationship, his obsession with other things that can make him feel more empowered and the reality TV show aspect of, I just want everyone to know me and love me and I want to be famous. You know what? That's very core into American culture. And all of a sudden this comes out in the middle of a pandemic where no one can be around each other. Everything's going to go to the internet. And all of a sudden our, you know, uh, you know, our reality TV show president is leading us through this where people are getting hurt and really all the right things just checked off at the same time. And I think in a weird way, Tiger King is America getting a very good look at itself that we well, are a very functional. Country. I do. I do. I do think it's great yeah. that the irony that Joe kind of Joe exotic, you know, like he always wanted to be famous. And, and one of the main ways he did that was keeping all these tigers and animals in a cage and, he wanted to, you know, exploit them. And he was, these are my best friends, my little kitties. And now he has that fame and it's he himself that is stuck in a cage. I mean, like yeah. that, that yeah. irony, I think it is pretty fantastic. Oh yeah. He, he makes the statement himself and has the lack of self-awareness to even realize what he's saying. We're all watching it and saying, oh, he just commented about being in a cage and he doesn't even really get it. I will uh, ask you this though, Mike, um, you know, I, I would agree with you that it's a little bit of a reflect. I mean, it's definitely a reflection on what we value. But don't do you think that there's there's some comfort that's taken in watching this and realizing for people that maybe they're not as worse off as some of these people? I, I feel like there is a little bit of that that comes with reality TV. We get comfort in seeing people who are crazier, crazier or more idiotic than we are. Oh, totally. I definitely remember in high school, we uh, studied Hamlet in one of our literature classes. And I'll never forget, one of my teachers did a whole class session on cathartic literature. And his whole point was that, look, some literature is designed to be depressing and to be sad and to really reveal all the darkest spots of being humans. But actually, it can cheer you up because you can read it and it can somehow just release that own like emotional darkness that you might be feeling or you might be going through at that time and you can connect with it in these characters and it kind of, it lets it come out of you and yeah. it, you experience that through literature and through good art and through good entertainment. And I think for this show, you know, like I said, we're going through probably the most emotionally traumatizing and horrible experience that our generation will face. I mean, this is the greatest world crisis essentially since world war two. And all of a sudden, here's a show that's so messed up and so, you know, crazy. And we're like, you know what? Yeah, I could watch that right now. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I think that will it will forever be remembered as part of the coronavirus experience and the yeah. entertainment. You know, like it'll it'll just be connected forever. Whether it, I don't know if it meant to be or not, but it will be. And um, I, I definitely think that there are some things that we can relate to, and hopefully. Maybe we can watch that show and take a couple self-aware lessons away from it and realize, you know what, while we have this time to be in quarantine, maybe there's some things we should reflect on ourselves about our own desires for ego 
and our own desires for fame and our own desires for, you know, cutting a couple edges just because we want to be so liked. And maybe we should instead not be like this. Um, cool. That's kind of my take on it. But I would also, if I could, one more question for you guys. Let's talk about the quotes. Champ, I know you had texted yeah. me earlier <laughs> like, hey, I have some favorite quotes, Weddy. There are so oh, many yeah. quotes from this show that I'm like, I, I literally had to like type down some things. I just, I knew them by memory just from watching it. Um, one oh, yeah. that immediately I gotta, comes I... to mind. Oh yeah. Sorry. Go ahead, champ. No, I was just going to say, before we get to the quotes, I just want to give people a quick, you know, our, a quick uh, review, you know, our ratings real hmm. quick before, you know, we get into the quotes. I gave it a six out of 10. I think I'm the one who liked it the least out of all of us. Oh, I just think there's a little bit of tight culture going on on this thing. I don't think it's a particularly uh, groundbreaking document. I think it skids by on the sheer craziness of its subject matter. Um, so I gave it a six out of 10. What about you? Um, we didn't talk about this. We don't have to. I, I think there was a little bit of a commentary on how messed up our justice system is when it comes to, you know, trying to obtain witness statements and, I think the whole case against Joe, while well, I think he did it, is is still jacked up. But um, there, I thought there yeah, was same. I thought there was a little bit more um, to it than that. I would give it a seven out of ten. I would give it a, maybe a six and a half, seven out of ten. Um, I I know I have like a weird, probably a weird. <laughs> Why are you against the number again? ratings? Have you ever been on IMDb, <laughs> Mike? <laughs> yeah. I give hey, it, C's get degrees, buddy. I give it an A. <laughs> Just just for its entertainment and like historic quality alone, I give it an A. All right, Mike, give us a quote. All right, uh, definitely a quote that stood out to me. Where I like, I remember I literally, I literally like hit pause real quick because I just had to like, you know, like just go, what? What did he just yep. say? What just came out of his in, mouth? Please do it in the voice of the character, please. Okay, I might not get this verbatim because I just typed it from memory, but this is basically what Joe Exotic said when they were asking him about the fact that, hey, you married two men who both identify as straight. And this is what he used as his pickup line to, I believe it was Travis, um, which that that was so sad. Uh, but yeah, here was this pickup line. He goes, oh, you're straight, huh? Well, let me ask you a question. Do you like watching porn? Okay, then do you like watching a porn star get f- fucked by a little dick or a big dick? Well, if you answered big dick, then you're a little bit gay. <laughs> I just, I think, like, that's not verbatim, whatever he said, but yeah. it was basically like that. And I was like, I literally had to pause it. I was like, what? I got, I got one from uh, Rick. I got one from Rick Kirkham, the documentary. Oh, yeah, guy. go ahead. He was like a mythical character living out in the middle of bumfuck Oklahoma who owned 1,200 tigers and lions and bears and shit. <laughs> so, you know what, so, you know what, Evan? Uh, I mean, you guys took a couple of the good ones. Um, I will say, I thought that there There's were a so couple. many more. I know, so I know, I know, I know there are. But oh, rapid fire here. Oh, rapid fire with quotes. All right, all right. So I thought that, um, I thought that this was like, this blew my mind. He, he, okay, pun intended. Joe was talking about law enforcement in a TV interview, and he says, it is a ticking time bomb if someone thinks they're going to walk in here and take my animals away. It's going to be a small Waco. Oh, yeah. So, what was that? Not great, for someone, not great for someone who's in a murder for hire. No. <laughs> Mike, you got one? I, I, yeah, I got another one. And this was, now, don't, the context of this, this was Joe's eulogy to yeah. Travis 
<laughs> like it didn't matter how stupid he had to get. If I was sitting there concentrating as hard as I could on the computer, write a letter to a senator or congressman or something else, he'd just come and rub them balls in my face. <laughs> they were like, no, gold nuggets to that boy. He, he talked about the this at the eulogy in front of the, the poor kid's mom. And, oh, man. I like this one. I like this one from John Finley. For somebody to burn down an alligator house, they got to be a pretty sick person because they burned up seven of my crocodilians. <laughs> um, all right. So these are, I'm going to let you guys keep rattling off, but there's a couple things that aren't great quotes, but were great in the context of the show. Um, Joe, um, literally five minutes after um, his employee had its arm, her arm ripped off by a tiger is quoted on camera saying, I'm never going to financially recover from this. Um, oh, yeah. The, and, the memes have been incredible. Oh, yeah. And then John Reinke, um, a double amputee. This was a great reveal. Like in episode five, we finally learned that it wasn't a tiger that took his legs. He explains it actually happened during a zip line accident. And I was like, you know, I assumed all along he got his legs bit off. <laughs> Well, speaking of amputees, uh, this was one, it goes back to something you were talking about, Mike, about how nothing was helped. It was Kelsey Saffery, uh, who said, everyone involved is a so-called animal advocate and not a single animal benefited from this war. Right. Exactly. Yeah. She was, she was, she was the smartest character in the whole series. (laughs) Seriously. Yeah. And, uh, and I'll, I'll give my last quote before I do, I do just want to recommend if you watch the documentary early, like, you know, the first week it came out, Go back and watch that extra episode they just released where Joel McHale interviews like some of the cast about like, you know, where they are now in life and what they think about the documentary. It's really worth your time. Um, But uh, Mm -hmm. yeah, like on that note, the last kind of quote that I saved that I was like, you know what, that kind of sums up a lot of things. It was from Joe. And um, basically, here's what he said. Me and Carol made money off each other. We became popular off of each other because I was her number one most wanted cub abuser that she could make money off of. And she was my number one murdered her husband and fed him to the tigers and crazy bitch out there that I could make music videos and shit about. (laughs) And that just kind of sums up for me how at the end of the day, like all these imperfect people just find each other's flaws and go after them to try to like, weaponize and monopol like you know monetize each other's failings and i think that's kind of like what we've all kind of seen has gone wrong with the world people have seen their flaws instead of you know genuinely following the advice of mr rogers and trying to help each other everyone's just using it to hurt each other and i think like that's the core thing that is really stuck into american culture with this documentary is like they're watching all these flawed people just bullshit themselves and form this creepy cults around each other just so they can try to harm each other. And what we need to do right now is not do that. We need to see our flaws, be honest and try to work on them and then see the flaws of the people we disagree with and try to help them too. Cause we all need to get through this together. Like America is going to get a group grade on how we survive this pandemic and we're not doing a good job right now. So yeah. look, if you see people posting stuff online that you disagree with, if you see, like, if you're starting to like spend too much time alone and you're starting to like, you know, realize a lot of your own flaws are kind of bubbling to the surface, be honest about it, be self-aware about it. And instead like face it and work on it. Don't just try to like suppress it and hide it or like ignore it. This is a time where really 
you can dig into who you are and work on you and everyone's going to be there to support you. And if you see people you dislike posting different political things or posting stuff that you think is wild, reach out to them and be like, hey, what are you feeling right now and how can I help? Because that's what's going to really help pull us through this. Not by judging each other and starting stupid fake wars over egos like what Tiger King shows we've all been doing. <laughs> Thank you for bringing it back around. You guys. brought it back around. Guys, Evan, do you have any more? Evan, do you have any more quotes before um, we go on six hours? No, here? I'm good. I, I, I'm I'm actually right. impressed and surprised that we got as deep as we did about Tiger King. Good job, guys. Oh, I got a couple more. I got a couple more just to close us out here, and and I think it's a good couple ones to close out on, and sort of brings it back to what Mike is saying. First, I just want to say Tom Santilli from Reality T called Joe Exotic a mix of Stephen Avery mixed with Richard Simmons and Ted Nugent with just a hit of Steve Irwin quoted, which I think is hilarious. Uh, and then just two quotes to end it. Joe Exotic, right off the bat, I'm in a cage. Do you know why animals die in cages? Their soul dies. I thought that was interesting, and I can see why the filmmaker started and ended with that. And I'm going to end it with this one, which was a quote by Amanda Green, I believe the prosecutor, who was basically just reading off her closing argument it sounded like but mr passage built his own kingdom he was the tiger king but here's the problem with kings they get used to making all the rules mr passage believed that his kingdom was under attack so mr cat passage attacked back he talked to everyone around him about his hate for mrs baskin but we aren't here today because of what mr passage said online we're here today for what he said when he thought no one was listening and he decided that he was king he would protect his kingdom at all costs he was going to simply assassinate his rival. So uh, there you go. Those are some quotes. There's our thoughts. That's a, a, a big, deep dive into the, the phenomenon that is Tiger King, probably more than you want, but shit, maybe not. You're sitting here obsessing over this. So maybe y'all will enjoy that deep dive. Uh, Evan, Mike, nice work, fellas. Appreciate your help on this uh, episode and uh, glad we could get one with all three of us. Yeah, hey, this was fun. Mike, it was good having you on. You've... Uh... You've raised the sophistication of the pod quite significantly. Well, that means a lot to me because I think your movie choices are great. And I was so glad I got to finally do one with you, Evan. Brandon Champion talks nothing but high praise and good things about you, man. And I feel so lucky we got to do one together. I hope we can keep getting to do more. Right on. Well, yeah. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, now that we got this all figured out, we can keep rolling out pods as much as we want. And we will keep doing that. Uh, please, if you have, if you're still here listening to us, God help you. But also like the Second Day Film Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Second Day Film. Like the Second Day Film Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. You can check out our old episodes on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Stay safe out there. Please keep following the guidelines. Keep looking out for your neighbors, your family members. Um, as Mike said, uh, there's a lot of things we can do to help each other. And uh, this will be a time that we look back on in a lot of ways. So stay safe out there. And until next time, we'll see you at the movies.